So hopefully you have Ezra and chapter 7 open. Now I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine our church, Black Rock. I want you to imagine us with all the Bibles boxed away permanently. Put in boxes after the service today. Put in a cupboard, never to be opened again. And so when we gather like this, imagine our church without any commitment to Scripture and with boxes of Bibles stored in the cupboard. Now, if that was the case, I think we'd probably still keep meeting as a church for a little while anyway. Maybe we'd limp on, but things, I think you'd agree, would be very different. There might be fairly chaotic series of messages. Maybe lots of us would take turns on giving each other good advice, kind of like a localized YouTube where you could tap into different pieces of advice week to week. And I think, you see, our lives would start to look different as a result as well. Wouldn't yours? If you made the decision to simply be done with the teaching of God's Word. A little bit like the Leaving Cert student I read about this week. She has contemplated plans to bonfire all her books in about 10 days' time. Well, you might think about it. But imagine if you took your Bible and you decided you'd move away from it forever. Wouldn't your life be different? Well, suddenly, in the book of Ezra that we've been reading, the striking figure of Ezra comes on scene in this book named after him. Chapter 7, but here's Ezra. And you might have noticed from the start of 7 that he's a priest from a very long line of priests. That names, that list of names that James read out, verses 1 to 5. He's a priest. And he's also a scribe. Look at verse 6. A scholar teacher. Let's pick this up by reading verse 6 of chapter 7. This Ezra, the writer says, this Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Ezra. Well, he makes his way to Jerusalem where the temple has been rebuilt. And that was chapters 1 to 6, if you missed it in Ezra. The temple has been rebuilt. Worship has been restored. And so this arrival is now marked, Ezra. And it'll be so significant. Just look how this Ezra is described in verse 10. Have a look at verse 10 of chapter 7. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So here in front of us is this truly striking figure, Ezra, a man we read who's resolved to study the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach it. So here, if you like, is one of the Bible's remarkable reforming figures. Here's a turning point in the history of God's people, and up steps a man like Ezra with a zeal for God's Word. He's determined that God's people would follow God's ways and would know them, and therefore he'll teach them the law that God had given them. Now, as we explore the context of Ezra's life and then his work among the people of God, and importantly, 
the way he foreshadows the Lord Jesus Christ. There's really a very direct challenge being issued to each one of us here. I want you to hear this challenge. It's a challenge that comes just as summer has us thinking about winding down rather than winding up. Well, what's the challenge? Well, here it is. Will you, above every other priority in your life, and I can imagine there are many priorities in each of our lives, will you commit to a living, active obedience to God's word? That's the challenge. There's the summer. And whatever your age, whatever brings you here, however you've dealt with the Bible in the past, will you enroll, if you like, in a life lived under the direction of God's word, especially as it reveals its ultimate fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's your challenge this summer, enroll, or re-enroll perhaps, life under direction, and under the direction of God's word, which points us to life under his son, Jesus Christ. There's the challenge at the start of this message. Well, let's get our bearings. Here's Ezra, as we've said. Here's the priest-teacher, verses 1 to 9. Here's Ezra. See, chapter 7, and we might miss this, it takes place nearly six decades, 60 years nearly, after the final verse of chapter 6, after the temple has been restored, there were dedications from chapter 6, verse 13, there's celebrations from verse 19 of chapter 6, and this temple is now in place. But now, seven, and we have that little time marker at the start in verse one. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia. So the year is about 458 BC, about 450 years before Christ. And you see, getting our bearings, this isn't just a shift in years, over half a, uh, half a, millenn- or half a century, 60 years since the first half of the book. But there's a shift in focus here too at the start of seven. The early chapters, remember, were about worship that would be offered to God in this new temple. And now the focus shifts to the lives of God's people with that temple in place. And they're called to live holy lives according to God's law first given to Moses. So there's the shift that's going on and the passage of about 57 years, I think it is. And so at last, we finally meet Ezra. Did you wonder if we'd ever get here, those of you who've been with us since Easter time, looking at Ezra? Well, we finally meet him. And the fact that he's important is really underlined here, isn't it? By the effort that the writer goes to show his family lineage, he traces it right back, doesn't he? To the first of the priests, to Aaron. Remember Aaron and Moses? Well, Ezra can trace his line right back there to the first of those priests, verse five. You might remember back in chapter two as well, that some of the people who went back to Israel in that first, back to Jerusalem in that first return, they weren't able to do that tracing. They couldn't trace their lineage. They couldn't prove their line, and so they were excluded from being priests, at least for a time. You can see the end of chapter two, but not Ezra. His lineage is so clear, and so his credibility is secured for the tasks that lie ahead. Now, alerting us to those tasks immediately, we read a description in verse 6. Have a look. The writer says, he was a scribe, this is Ezra, a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, 
that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. Now, Derek Kidner points out something very interesting. That word skilled, you see it here in verse 6, actually translates as the word rapid in the original, fast. So Ezra, if you like, has a fast fluency with the law of Moses. He's a scholar, and he's quick at getting his way around the Scriptures. He knows them intimately. You see, more than his priestly lineage that we've already secured, we're meant to notice that Ezra is a skilled teacher. And just as we've seen before in this book, you can see something else about him. The Lord's sovereign hand is also at work. Look at the end of verse 6. For the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. That's Ezra. A priest in this line from Aaron. A skilled teacher. And now the hand of the Lord on him. And the repetition of that sovereignty of the Lord comes up just three verses later. Look at verse 9. It's really striking, isn't it? For the good hand, verse 9, for the good hand of his God was on him. That's Ezra. Quite a figure, isn't he? The credentialed priest, the skilled teacher. And he doesn't just rock up on his own. Look at verse 7. He's flanked by companions as he makes his way over four months down to Jerusalem from Babylon. So he's explicitly God's man with God's hand upon him. Here's Ezra. But presented with this remarkable individual who's both that credentialed priest. Remember what priests were to do. What was the role of a priest? Well, they were to intercede between the people and God. But Ezra's a priest and a skilled teacher. He's to teach the law of the Lord. You see, there's something remarkable about Ezra. Ezra, for those of us who know our Bibles, you see, there's a quite wonderful foreshadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting when you think of that role of priest and teacher. Adrian Reynolds, one of the commentators, is very helpful. He says this. He says, the priestly roles of intermediary between God and man and teacher also come together ultimately in Jesus Christ, don't they? He's the ultimate teacher and the ultimate go-between, the priest, the great high priest, as the book of Hebrews describes the Lord Jesus Christ, between God and man. Think about it. Just a few centuries after Ezra, Christ would come. The perfect understanding of God's law, his word. Christ would come teaching people about that. And then ultimately, where does Christ go? He makes his way to Calvary to be the atoning sacrifice, that high priest, that ultimate sacrifice for his people. Jesus, the great high priest. And so Ezra's arrival to Jerusalem speaks so profoundly of God's sovereign and supernatural restoration of his people. Even just a glimpse of it here, a little over four centuries before Christ, but there's a glimpse of what God has promised he will do. He will restore his people ultimately through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Ezra walks onto the pages of this history, we should take note. Now, as well as restored worship, like we saw in the first half of the book, there's a real deep need, isn't there, for people with this temple in place to know and come to grips with God's word, his law. What would be the point in having their temple if they just lived any old way, if they just did any old thing? 
No, there's a need, you see, for this restored people with their worship to also know God and know his heart and know what he wants and how he wants them to live. You see, there's a real need, isn't there, for a teacher who can not only teach well, but one who will also study it and live it and teach it. And again, we see Ezra fits that bill. And at the same time, he points forward to the one who would bring that ultimate salvation and restoration for God's people. It's, it's a remarkable picture, isn't it, in chapter 7, as we think back about what God is doing in restoration, and as we think forward where the Bible takes us towards Christ. Now, you'll have noticed verse 10. I want you to camp there for just a few moments. It's a key verse here, as it describes Ezra's seriousness towards and commitment to the law of the Lord. And so, for the rest of our time today, We're going to consider the challenge of Ezra's three priorities as set out here. It's interesting, isn't it, that such a verse, verse 10 of chapter 7, has this distillation, these priorities of Ezra that can help us. And we're going to use three helpful application questions that Adrian Reynolds gives us. Have a look at that verse, verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. What comes first? Well, did you notice that personal heart resolve to study the law of the Lord? For Ezra had set his heart. What does that mean? Well, it means that he had resolved, he'd committed, he'd passionately decided to study the law of the Lord. And the question and challenge for us is, well, what about you? as you watch this God-directed arrival of this reformer to teach God's people his word. What about you? Will you love God's word like this? Will you love God's word? Well, for Ezra, it was here in the personal domain that this passion for the Lord and his ways began. Personal study, devotion to God's word. It's really striking, isn't it? I'm really interested in how people get into things. Have you ever wondered why someone is into something? What got them interested in the first place? And the last few years, people have taken up many, many different hobbies and pastimes and interests from baking to surfing, you name it. People have taken them up, but how did they get into it? Well, it might start with watching maybe a video or talking to someone who's into that thing. But then at some point, there's It's like a click into action, isn't it? What the the, the writer here describes as the setting of your heart. You've probably read and listened and talked to people about Christ, but the challenge here from Ezra is about heart set, setting your heart. Will you love God's word even as you get into other things? As you watch, you see, it's not a code of behavior, is it? And Some of you who have studied the junior cert um, uh, religious studies, um, they they list all the world religions and they put all their their main teachings and their scriptures. And you see, sometimes the Bible is seen as just a code of, of rules, just a code of behavior, but it's not that. It isn't a list of do's and don'ts and instructions of how to be religious like a Christian. No, you see, it points to God's amazing character and to his gracious salvation and provision of his word, the word, Jesus Christ. 
And you see, it doesn't matter if you or I have been around Christian things. You don't catch a love for God's word simply by being with other Christians. It's not something like easily transmissible. It doesn't just happen. But the Bible itself warns us, doesn't it, about going through the motions, but never quite getting the gospel or setting our hearts on it. Well, today might be your enrollment in a new love for God's word. Will you love God's word? Will that click into action even as you take up other things? And then just as those surfers start to make the trip to Rosnila or La Hinch, practically speaking, a love for God's word can start with simple things. Maybe making a few notes as you listen to a sermon or a message like this. Maybe writing down one thing that you can take away. Maybe reading the Bible and working really hard to understand it. You see, there's a danger, isn't it? If you've been around the Bible a lot, we all think we kind of know those stories. Ah, yeah, that's the same ones. But will we delve down deeply? Not assuming we know Christ, but try to get to know him better. Here's a few tips. Why don't you read Psalm 119? And you'll know it's the longest psalm. And it's a psalm that takes us through what love and devotion to God's word, his commands, his statutes, it's like. Read that psalm slowly and take it in. Or read John's gospel. Or start reading Mark and notice the things. And then set your heart on loving God's word. You didn't expect to come to church and be told to enroll in summer school, did you? Well, that's what this is. Why don't you enroll or re-enroll? And I'm going to send a few suggestions around the WhatsApp later this week about how to get back into God's Word and awaken and click into this love for God's Word. But don't even wait for that, even now. Look at that verse again in Ezra 7. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Of course, Ezra didn't just love and study God's laws, did he? He did them. Love for God's word, in Ezra's case, was backed up by those three simple words of action. Did you catch them in verse 10? To do it. He set his heart to do it, to do God's word. And so here's a second challenge facing us. Will you do God's word? Will you not only love it and study it, and get to know it, and get to grips with it, but will you do it? Step back for a moment. Just remember the context here. God's temple rebuilt, worship restored, and then God, by his good and sovereign hand, sends Ezra to teach, to teach the people how to live God's ways. You see, there's a shift, isn't there, from, from worship to living. Will you do it? Will you live God's ways? Will you listen to God's teaching? There's life here. Life by God's word and life in God's son. You know, this isn't a challenge just to do Christian things. Please don't hear that. It's not empty legalism I'm putting you to enroll in this summer. It's not about public rule keeping, but it's to life. Life as God's word starts to take root in our lives and then changes our behavior and attitudes our desires and choices, everything. And with God's transformation comes a 
transforming of lives too and priorities and behavior. That's sometimes called radical obedience and it brings life. It's interesting as I was reading the Bible and thinking about it, how many times obedience isn't associated with, with being dead or dry, but it's pictured as God's refreshing, life-giving word. That's Psalm 119. Some people would make us think that God's word will restrict you and curtail your freedom, spoil your life. But the exact opposite is true. And you believe it, don't you? God's word gives life. And that's testified by so many of us sitting in this room. God's word gives life. Will you love God's word? Will you do it? Will you follow his ways and look again to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? I reckon some of you might consider for the very first time enrolling in this new life. New birth, the Bible describes it. And if you've recently made a deliberate or somewhat accidental move away from doing God's word, that could be the case for you. Somehow you've woken up this morning and found yourself at a distance from what the Bible teaches and says. Well, if that's you, come back today. It's a very simple challenge. Or maybe there are areas in your life or your living that you could describe as non-aligned with God's word, where there's a, a jarring dissonance between what you're doing and what God's word says. Well, bring those areas of your life back under his ways, his word, and trust Christ with them. And as you do that, why don't you pray for a fresh resolve to do that, even as you listen. This is gonna have an enormous impact on you for good. Why don't you leave any confusion and self-directed turmoil behind and allow a new love for God's word to inspire a new commitment to doing it. Verse 10 again. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. And so the priority to teach. And it's interesting, Ezra is such a dramatic reforming figure, but he doesn't speak about himself. He's not there to talk about his own agenda or establish his own leadership, is he? He's there to teach the statutes and rules from God's law, his word. Ezra's moved from personal devotion and study, then to obedience as it filters out into his life. And then he teaches the people, as God restores them to worship, he teaches them to live after God's ways. Will you teach God's word is the third challenge. And we're all teachers, aren't we? Everyone has something to teach. We share what we're most into. The latest salad or recipe, the best videos you've seen, we share them all the time. That's why there's a button that says share on everything we look at. Share, we want to share, we want to teach, whether it's study techniques or places to visit. But will you share and teach God's word if you're a Christian, if you love God's word, if you're obedient and living under it? Will you teach it? Will you share it? Um, in the past year, we learned in our Watch Your Life series that it's sometimes as you feed on Christ and you read his word and study it, that you'll have something to share with others. And I really challenge you on that. If, you, if you're out of the Bible, get back into it and you will have something to share 
Sometimes we feel we're not very good at or consistent at sharing the gospel. And we feel there's a, a sort of a full stop. I, I don't tell anyone about my faith. I slip in and out of church on a Sunday and I can't seem to get the words out. Well, here's the remedy. Deep devotion and obedience to God's word. And suddenly that share button is a lot easier to find. That's a simple way to fix it. As we enroll once again in studying and doing and then teaching God's word. Well, those are three challenges as we meet Ezra at the back end of this book. At this turning point in history, the reformer walks in. I know some of you um, did a history exam just this past week. Do you remember junior cert history? I used to teach it. I was a history teacher. And I was delighted to see that one of the questions asked us to, to write about a reformer you have studied in history. Write about one of the reformers. Well, I want you to think about what you know of Ezra. And I want you to write down after this service, what do you know of this reformer? Well, look at verse 10. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That's what a reformer does. And that can reform your life as you follow Christ. I have no doubt we'd soon fizzle out as a church if we boxed up our Bibles and we took our commitment to God's word and shelved it. But the arrival of Ezra alerts us yet again to the powerful, transformative, restorative word of God. It's right here. And so today is enrollment day. You see, I think that the opposite is also the case, that a fresh devotion, a new commitment to God's word and God's son has the power to ignite you personally has the power to ignite our church, to overflow us as people who share the gospel at every turn. You see, if we don't just not put away our Bibles and shelve them, but we get them out again and we get back into the Bible and we read it and obey it and share it, this will change our lives and the lives of those around us. You see the people who are not here, who have never heard the gospel? Well, that's why you would enroll in this school today. That's why you would enroll in the study of and obedience of and the sharing of God's word. That's why it is the power to change us and ignite us. That's the challenge of Ezra right here in our lives, in our church life. So whatever you do, don't put away these books this summer. It's time to enroll as we hear this call back to life by God's word. Let's ask for his help. Father, as this reformer storms onto the pages of our Bibles, would we not just flick over looking for the next story? Would we pause just a moment to see in Ezra that passion for your word? A passion that leads him not just to, to spout it, but to obey it, to live it out in his own life personally. A passion that leads him then to teach it. Father, would you give us that power to share because we've seen the power of your word transforming us, because we've glimpsed again how it points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was even greater than Ezra, who came after him, who was ultimately that great high priest on our behalf, going to the cross of Calvary. Father, if we've never connected those dots, help us to do that today. Help us to enroll 
in this life of devotion to your word, to your son, this life of living it out, obedience to your son, this life of sharing him and the gospel. Help us, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen.